Hollywood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. If you would, please take out your Bibles now and turn in them in the New Testament to the book of Matthew and chapter number 6. If you don't have a Bible, um, there should be one under a chair near you, and you could take that Bible and turn to page 4, and you would be at Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus makes a very striking, thought-provoking statement about prayer. Look at chapter 6 and verse 5. He's talking here to the disciples, and he says, When you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Then let your eyes go down to verse 8. He says, So do not be like them. And then he gives this very striking, thought-provoking statement. In the rest of verse 8, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, I want you to think about that statement for a moment, and let's just ponder that. If that is true, why even pray? If he already knows what we need, And he knows all things anyway. He already knows what's going to come out of our mouth. Why even pray? And I think there's at least two reasons why we should pray. We need to to see these. I want to share uh, share them with you very quickly this morning. The first one is that prayer is an encouragement to deepen our relationship with God. See, that's one reason why we should even pray when he already knows what we need before we even ask. It's an encouragement to deepen our relationship with him. That's how you deepen relationships as you communicate. And the second reason why we should pray, even though he already knows what we need, is that prayer is an expression of our dependence on God. And even though he already knows what we need before we ask, we should still pray because it's an encouragement to deepen our relationship with him And it's an expression of our dependence upon Him. We've involved for several weeks now in a a study we have entitled Braced for Battle. And it's all built around Ephesians chapter 6. And I might encourage you to flip from Matthew over to Ephesians 6. We've been studying for several weeks about how we, you and I, live weekly in enemy-occupied territory, that daily we're involved in a spiritual war, that daily we have clashes with the kingdom of darkness. And we learn from Ephesians 6 and verse 11 that there are schemes that the enemy has, the schemes of the devil. He, He is out trying to deceive and to tempt and to blind and to accuse and to seduce. And we have been seeing and stressing that by ourselves, we are outgunned. We are outmanned, if you will. We need divine equipment to stand firm. 
And we have laid out that there are two parts to the divine equipment that he lays out for us here in Ephesians 6. The first one is putting on God's armor in verses 11 to 17. And we've spent two weeks looking at that, every piece of the armor of God. And all of them need to be consistently in place to give us maximum protection from the schemes of the enemy. But then the second aspect of our divine equipment that helps us to stand firm is practicing prayer. And we see that in verses 18 to 20, and that is what we're going to look at today. We're going to see that we are to stand firm on our knees. So follow along as I read verses 18, 19, and 20. Paul writes, with all prayer and petition... Pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I in proclaiming it, may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Now, the plan that I have for today, as we look at this part of our divine equipment, practicing prayer, involves three things. First of all, we're going to look at a call to a lifestyle of prayer. I think that's what practicing prayer really means. Secondly, we're going to look at characteristics of a lifestyle of prayer. It's one thing to be called to it. It's another thing to understand what it looks like. And then the third thing we're going to look at toward the end today is a battle prayer that we can employ as we're involved in our daily skirmishes with the enemy. So we want to begin by looking at a call to a lifestyle of prayer. Now remember, he talks about how we're to be strong in the Lord, how we're to stand firm against the enemy, and then he starts talking about these various pieces of the armor that we've been looking at for several weeks that we are to put on. We are to take up. And then we come to this section on prayer in verses 18 to 20. Now, what's important to understand, and you can't really see this in English, is that the language structure of verse 18 refers to something that we are to do simultaneously to putting on the armor. It's something we are to be doing contemporaneously with putting on the armor. It's something we're to be doing in sync with putting on the armor. It's something we're to be doing at the same time we put on the armor. In other words, if we're going to stand firm against the schemes of the devil, we are to take a double-barreled approach, putting on the armor and also practicing prayer. What's interesting to me is when you bring up the subject of prayer, sometimes prayer is just too abstract or it gets too complicated. I just want to make it very, very simple for us today. At its core, prayer is communication with our commander-in-chief. Here we are in this spiritual war against the forces of darkness. There's certain parts of God's armor that we're to put on, but we're also to be practicing prayer. That is our communication with our commander-in-chief. And just like it said in Matthew when Jesus talked about prayer, He already knows what we need before we ask. So we would say, why are these verses even here? I mean, why do we pray? Well, 
Part of the reason why we pray is to be closer to the commander. The more we interact with someone, the deeper the relationship we will have with them. And that's part of the reason why we pray, to be closer to the commander. Another reason why we pray, just as we saw, we talked about those two purposes behind prayer. It's an expression of our dependence on him. We put on the armor and we're practicing prayer. We are basically acknowledging the fact that he is ready to meet our needs. He is willing to meet our needs. And prayer, when we pray, opens up the way for him to meet our needs. So we're talking about a call to a lifestyle of prayer. What do we mean by a lifestyle? We, what, what that means is, is that we pray uh, more than just praying on a Sunday. It means that we pray more than just when we're having a meal. It it means we pray more than just those times when we're in great trouble and we're yelling for help from God. It's a lifestyle of prayer. Notice verse 18 again. It says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times. And by the way, that translation in the New American Standard is a very literal translation of of the uh, original language. Pray at all times. The New King James Version translates it, praying always. The NIV translates it, pray on all occasions, always keep on praying. You might remember that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 17, Jesus says there, it's a command, pray without ceasing. Other versions might translate it, pray continually, pray constantly. What does that really mean? To pray without ceasing, pray continually, pray constantly. Does it mean we're being called to to pray nonstop like some sort of a reclusive monk out there in a monastery and just all day long without any kind of a break? He's praying, 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 maybe eight or nine hours straight. Is that what it means? Well, I think I can illustrate the difference by looking at the contrast between what we might call nonstop dialogue and running dialogue, all right? What do I mean by nonstop dialogue? Well, that's when someone is speaking nonstop. They just talk, 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 talk. They talk, 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 talk. They talk, 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 talk. They talk, 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 and talk. And I want you to know that for me, interacting with someone who's involved in nonstop dialogue is extremely difficult. When someone's just talking non-stop, and they never pause. They never even take a breath. They just keep on going. And I have to admit it to you. I'll be, I'll be real honest. There have been times when I've been involved on the telephone with someone who's doing non-stop dialogue with me, and I've just got to admit to you that at times when they've been going on and on, and on and on, and there's no breath, there's no pause, that I've just taken the phone and just sort of held it out here for a little while. And I hope it wasn't you that was talking to me (laughs) when I did that, but it's the truth. I have done that. 
Because that's nonstop dialogue, you see. Now, that is different from running dialogue, or we might call it ongoing dialogue. Not too long ago, my wife Janet and I drove to Nebraska. It's a seven-hour drive. Major part of the reason why we went was to check on her mom and dad, who are, who are both in different homes. So we're driving down the road for seven hours, and we're having running dialogue. We're having running communication. And as we were talking back and forth, at times we took turns listening. As issues would come up and subjects would arise, we would talk about them. And there was this just running dialogue, ongoing dialogue happening. Now, if you had been in the back seat for seven hours, you would have observed there were some moments that were quiet when neither one of us were talking. Um, But there was this running dialogue happening between us. And that's one of the things we enjoy about traveling because it seems like life happens to us and we sometimes as husbands and wives, we don't have that opportunity for running dialogue. And so I know sometimes when we, when we haven't traveled for a while, we have to schedule some time, actually carve out some time for some running dialogue between us and some ongoing dialogue. I, I mean, it happens here at the, at the church facility, um, in our offices, uh, for example, with Mark Robinson, our executive pastor, and me. And a lot of times on days, we have this running dialogue that goes on. And, uh, you know, we may talk about an issue for a little while, and, and he talks and I talk, and then we maybe go back to our offices, and then we think about something else, and we might come back and say, I was just thinking about this. And there's this running, ongoing dialogue that happens. And that, I believe, is what Paul is talking about when he's talking about a lifestyle of prayer, that there is a running dialogue. It doesn't mean that there's not times in which there's quiet. Remember how the NIV translates this. We're to pray on all occasions. As issues arise, as hurdles are faced, as the assaults come our way, as the arrows are being shot towards us, the temptations and the accusations and the difficult circumstances that we're to have this running dialogue with God, this ongoing communication. We're to have this kind of running communication throughout the day. And as we're doing that, what are we saying? We're saying, God, I need you. I I, I need to depend on you as I'm facing all of these things. So you can have this kind of running communication with God on the job. Maybe on the job you've taken on a particular project and you're just having this running communication with him throughout the day. Lord, I want to honor you as I work on this project. I want to have integrity as I work on this project. I want to work hard. You can have this kind of running communication with God as a student when you're just talking to God and say, you know, Lord, part of what I want to do is avoid the temptation. It's a hard temptation for me to just say certain things or to act certain ways just so I'm popular with a group of people. Or maybe you're saying, I want you to just work with me because I have this temptation to be very self-focused, not thinking about other people. You can have this kind of running communication when you're a mom with young kids and you're cleaning up a lot of messes and you're changing a lot of diapers and you can have this running communication with God. Lord, I know this is, this is mundane, but I want to serve you and I want to serve my kids. And I want to be an example, Lord, 
to my children of what it means to take on mundane tasks and do it faithfully. You can have this kind of ongoing running communication when you're a dad with teenagers, you know, those strange people who live in your house. And you can just say, Lord, I need your patience as I deal with these strange people in my home. I need your wisdom as I relate to them. You can have the same kind of running communication with God when there's a conflict that you're dealing with and you say, Lord, I want to stand firm before Satan's intent in this conflict because his intent is to divide and his intent is to destroy relationships and I want to stand firm against that. You can have this running dialogue when a conflict is happening and you can be saying, God, how can I play the role of a peacemaker in this conflict and in this situation? See, that's the idea of a lifestyle of prayer. It's this ongoing, running dialogue with God. And what Paul is trying to emphasize to you and to me is that prayer is an integral part of our everyday relationship with God. That's why it's part of the divine equipment he gives to us in putting on prayer. It's a call to a lifestyle prayer. Now, Having understood all of that, the second thing we want to do is get specific about what it looks like. What are the characteristics of a lifestyle of prayer? And we're going to see a number of them. All right, let's look at them. The first characteristic that he mentions right here in Ephesians 6 is variety. If we're going to have a lifestyle of prayer, there needs to be variety. Look again at verse 18. He says we are to be praying with all prayer and petition. The NIV translates that we are to pray with all kinds of prayers and requests. Now, I just have to believe you're very much like me. And too often, here's what happens about our prayer life. Too often, it's limited to crisis situations. I mean, when we get into crisis, we're ready to pray. We're ready to say to God, help, I need help. But see, that's not the way a lifestyle of prayer operates. There is variety in a lifestyle of prayer. There are public prayers. There are private prayers. There are short prayers. There are extended prayers. There are scheduled prayers, times you may schedule to pray. There are unscheduled prayers. There is praise and adoration of God. There is confession and repentance before him. There are petitions. There are requests that we make. And there are prayers of thanksgiving to him. See the idea? There's a variety. If we're going to have a lifestyle of prayer, there will be variety. And again, I think for most of us, maybe the area we could grow the most in in terms of variety in prayer, is in praise to God and thanksgiving to God. And I've been really working hard at this for a number of years. I think it really came to a head for me back in 2001 when I got diagnosed with prostate cancer. And I realized, you know, I haven't really been thanking God enough to just thank Him for His faithful provision for us. To thank him for things like this. Thank him for our ability to taste. When's the last time you just thank God that you had the ability to taste something? To thank him for the colors that we, we have 
whether it's in nature or, or just in some of the things that we have, for the smells that we're able to smell, for even the water and the food that we have. I mean, there are people who struggle without having those things. To thank Him just for the clothes that we have, for, for all of the blessings that we have. To give Him praise and thanks for His mercy and grace in our life that is there every single day. To give Him praise and thanks for His faithfulness because He is there for us every single week. To give Him praise and thanks for His spiritual provision in our life, for the security of our salvation, that it was fully won by Jesus, for the spiritual provision of His spiritual armor and all these aspects. See, when we talk about a lifestyle of prayer, one of the characteristics of a lifestyle of prayer is that there is variety with it. I want to give you a second one that he mentions here in Ephesians 6. A second characteristic of a lifestyle of prayer is tenacity. Tenacity. Notice the last part of verse 18. It says, beyond the alert, with all perseverance. Literally, it means being steadfast towards something. We are to be steadfast towards prayer. We're to be persistent with prayer. We're to stick with it. In our vernacular, we might put it this way. Don't punt on prayer. See, this is a key element in our divine equipment in the spiritual battle, and we need to have tenacity when it comes to prayer. And I want, I want to make a couple of notes about that. Why, why do we need to be reminded of that? Well, for one, since prayer is an expression of our dependence on God, I have to admit it's not a natural tendency of my flesh. See, the natural tendency of my flesh is to just sort of go on my own and operate on my own. And because prayer is an expression of our dependence on God, we need to have tenacity in our prayer. A second reason why it's important to have tenacity and why he even says this to us here is the enemy is out there to do all that he can to discourage you and discourage me from having a lifestyle of prayer because he knows it's part of the divine equipment and if he can discourage us from doing it, he wins a victory. And so the second element, second characteristic of a lifestyle of prayer is Tenacity. Again, let's just be honest. What, what do we have this tendency to do? We have this tendency, you know, when things are really going well, the circumstances are really going well, we have a tendency to do what? To let down. Why do I really need to pray? I mean, everything seems to be going well. And when we let down, what does the enemy do? He makes plans crank things up because our guard is down. We need to have tenacity because sometimes we let down when things are going well, and sometimes we just get weary. We just get worn down. And you know what Satan loves to hear us say? He just loves to hear us say, I don't feel like praying. When that comes out of our mouths, he's going, yeah, it's great. 
I can remember several times in recent weeks when my wife said to me, why don't we pray about that? And the words came out of my mouth, I don't feel like important that we have tenacity when it comes to prayer. You know, the Lord Jesus told a parable about this. It's found in Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 8. We won't turn there, but you can go and read it, read it a little more in depth afterwards. But he, he says there, he's telling this parable so that the disciples would learn that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. The New Living Translation Uh, puts it this way, he was telling the parable so that they would understand the need for constant prayer and to show them that they must never give up. If you remember the parable, it's a parable of the unrighteous judge, and you have this unrighteous judge and this widow who brings a request to the unrighteous judge, and she brings the request, and he says, I'm not going to deal with it. And she comes back. He says, I'm not going to deal with it. He comes back again, and he says, you know, back and forth they go. And eventually, she's come back so many times, he finally says, okay, all right, I'll do it. And then Jesus says this, God is the very opposite of that unrighteous judge. Therefore, you need to pray and not lose heart. You need to understand that you should never give up when it comes to prayer. We're talking about the characteristics of a lifestyle of prayer. The first one that he mentions here is variety. The second one he mentions is tenacity. The third one that he mentions right here in Ephesians 6, a lifestyle of prayer is others-oriented. Others-oriented. Look at verse 18. Be on the alert. With all perseverance and petition for all the saints... I just love the way the voice translates it. It translates it this way, pray on behalf of God's people. Pretty simple, pretty clear. Now, I don't know if you noticed it or not, (laughs) but conviction just walked in the room. Did you feel it? I know that it's, it's true of me, and I think it's likely true of you, that if, if somehow there was a transcription of our prayers... For the overwhelming majority of us, our prayers would be me-focused. Can I get an amen on that one at all? Or is that just my problem? You see, and God never designed the spiritual war strategy that we're to have with the enemy to be some kind of a lone ranger fight. And a lifestyle of prayer is prayer that is others-oriented, praying for other people. And, And Paul doesn't only call us to that here in Ephesians 6. He sets the example of that in the book. Turn with me to chapter 1 of Ephesians. And you'll see in chapter 1, verses 15 to 19, that he is praying for them. 
He says in verse 16, I make mention of you in my prayers. Here's what I'm praying for you, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. I'm praying that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened so that you can come to know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, what is the surpassing greatness of his power. He set the example in praying for other people. You see it in chapter 3. And verses 14 to 19, he says, I bow my knees before the Father, and I'm praying for you that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner person so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith so that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ. See, he sets the example because a lifestyle of prayer is others-oriented. And Paul not only sets the example for us, he seeks prayer support. That's what verses 19 and 20 are all about. He's saying that we are to have prayer that is others-oriented, and he says, pray for me that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I, an ambassador in chains, remember he's under arrest, that in proclaiming the gospel good news that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Now, in some senses, that should somewhat shock us a little bit. I mean, this, after all is the great apostle to the Gentiles himself. There's a lot of people writing books today about how they've been to heaven and back, and this was an individual who had truly been to heaven and back. And he says, I need you to pray for me. And if he needed prayer, what does that say about me? What does that say about you? See, one of the coolest things of all, this gets me excited, about praying for one another is that it actually transcends geography. It transcends circumstances. You don't have to be right next to a person to do that. And here's Paul imprisoned, and he's saying, would you pray for me that I'll have effective ministry with other people? So, what does a lifestyle of prayer look like? Well, there's variety, there's tenacity, it's others-oriented, And then the fourth element that he brings up here about a lifestyle of prayer is that it is spirit-directed. You say, wait a minute, I'm sorry, I missed that one, didn't quite see that there. Well, notice again verse 18. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. Pray at all times in the Spirit. You could legitimately translate this, pray at all times by the Spirit. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? What does it mean to pray by the Spirit? I want to share with you two ideas about what I think that means. Praying in the Spirit or praying by the Spirit, number one, means allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us. Allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us, to actually direct us in who we should pray for and how we should pray. And I think it's very important. Remember, the Holy Spirit is our helper. He is the one who is to lead us 
and to guide us. It's important that when it comes to practicing a lifestyle of prayer that we have an expectation that the Spirit of God is going to lead us in prayer. And this is something else that I have been working on for a number of years. And here's the way it works, because I believe this is part of a lifestyle of prayer, and that means that we're allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us when we pray in the Spirit, that I have an expectation that that's what he's going to do. And so as he brings people to my mind, I don't think, well, that's kind of weird that I hadn't thought about that person, or why am I thinking about that person? I think that's what the Holy Spirit is directing me towards. So when someone comes to my mind, I will pray for them. When certain situations come to my mind, maybe a situation I'm dealing with or a situation someone else is dealing with, as that comes to my mind, my expectation is that the Spirit of God is going to be leading me. And so I pray for that situation. Sometimes uh, I can uh, have this come to me when I'm driving my car. Sometimes it's coming when I'm working outside. But as things come to my mind, I have an expectation that the Spirit of God is going to lead me. I've had this happen to me. I've had someone come to my mind I haven't even thought about for 10 years. And you can go, well, that's kind of weird. I wonder what I thought. No, wait a minute now. I wonder if the Holy Spirit is leading me to pray for that person. So there's this response that I have of prayer as God brings individuals and situations to my mind. And part of it is the anticipation that I have the Holy Spirit's going to lead me, you see? That's part of the idea of praying in the Spirit or praying by the Spirit. There's a second idea that I think is involved, and this is really cool, and that is allowing the Holy Spirit to intercede for us. Think about the last time you were facing a situation or or, or whatever it was, and you just said to yourself, I don't even know what to pray. You had that happen to you recently? It's happened to me Sometimes things can get just so garbled up and so messed up, I think, I don't even know what to pray. Well, keep your finger here in Ephesians 6 and go with me to the left in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Very encouraging section of Scripture we have in Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. And he says in Romans 8, 26, he says, in the same way... The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should. See, we're going to have those situations where we basically say, I don't even know what to pray. But it says, the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints and he does it according to the will of God. Part of this is allowing the Holy Spirit to intercede for us. And he does it, as it says here, in a way that's too deep for words. Literally, it really means it's in an inexpressible way. It's not that I hear Holy Spirit words in my ear but he is doing this in an inexpressible manner. I like the way the voice translates it here. It says, the Holy Spirit steps in and articulates prayers for us. It's an inexpressible thing that he does. And here's what's amazing. While I may not know how to pray, and I may not know just what the will of God is, the Holy Spirit is able to pray according to the will of God because he is God. And this has happened to me a number of times. 
Sometimes I've been in a situation by myself and I don't really know what to do or how to pray and I will just say, Holy Spirit, will you just intercede right now? I'm just going to count on you to pray because you know how to pray. Sometimes I've been with individuals and I've been in that situation where we don't really know what to pray and, and I'll turn to this passage and I'll just, I'll just say, Holy Spirit, will you just join us right now? And we're going to count on the fact that you can intercede for us when we don't really know how to intercede. You can pray for us. You see, we're involved in a spiritual battle, men and women, and this is reality. And when we're on our own in this battle, we are inadequate, but God didn't leave us on our own. He has provided divine equipment, and part of that divine equipment is putting on God's armor, and part of that divine equipment is practicing prayer. Now, I want you to know something as we're getting ready to conclude this series today. And that is, I have been very purposeful in choosing to preach through this series. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, I was aware that we are involved in this Ready for Takeoff initiative here at Wildwood. We've been talking some about it. We haven't completely unveiled it yet. But we know that this Ready for Takeoff initiative is something where we hope that Wildwood can take its outreach, both internationally and locally, to a new level. Now, knowing that that was the aim, I knew that the enemy was not just going to allow this to happen without any action, without attacking in some way, without coming up with some sort of a tactic to undermine things, without planning some spiritual subversion or spiritual manipulation, without potentially trying to sow distrust and discord and discouragement in the church, maybe finding some way to derail us into conflict and division. Because I know the way the enemy works. And so part of the idea was to have, as we get ready to talk about taking our outreach to a new level, to have all of us as a church family prepared for the schemes of the enemy. To remember Peter's picture in 1 Peter 5.8 when he says, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, or we could say looking for a church to derail. So I thought it was very strategic for us to spend some time looking how we are braced for battle. Now, you might have noticed there was one more thing we said we were going to cover today, the third item we were going to look at today, and that was a battle prayer. And this is really the life response to our message today, and to our series today. And I have put together a document that I have called a Braced for Battle Prayer. And it's built around this section of Ephesians 6. And it's a prayer that we can pray individually. It's a prayer that we can pray corporately. For some of us, this will be a valuable prayer to pray every day. To literally take this document on the braced for battle prayer and to work through it every single day. For some of us, you might want to just take one item of the armor per day and be praying through it. And we have made this available in electronic form rather than printing out multiple hundreds of these 
and not knowing how many to actually print out, we have made it available in electronic form. You can go to our website at wildwoodchurch.org and it is available in the sermon banner. It's available in the news section in the bottom right-hand corner. And you can also go to wildwoodchurch.org slash battle prayer and the document will come up. You can save that document to your own computer. You can print it. You can use it however you want. You can use it in some social media. You can pass it on to other individuals. You know, this past week, I was talking to one of our elders, Dick Stewart, and it was interesting. We were talking about this prayer, and he pulled out a tattered copy, very, very similar to this one, that he's had for more than 20 years. And he said to me, for all this time, I, I've been praying these kinds of things. And not only that, he said, I have shared this with so many people over the years. And so we want to put them into your hands so that you can, as part of the life response, pray this battle prayer. Now, I know that some people don't have internet access. And on either side of me on the stage over here, there's like 16 copies over here and 16 copies over here. So if, if you don't have access, we have a copy for you you can pick up. If you're just chomping at the bit and say, I've got to have one of those right now, go ahead and feel free to, to, to pick, pick up one, all right? I'll just give you a taste for it for how it reads. I'll just read you part of it. It says, Heavenly Father, I thank you for, for providing through the Lord Jesus victory over Satan and his forces of darkness. I acknowledge the reality of the spiritual battle and my need to be strong in the power of your might. I recognize that it is essential to put on the full armor of God so that I can stand firm against the wicked schemes and strategies of the enemy. It goes on to say, he will tempt me in my areas of weakness. He is the tempter. He will seek to have me believe what is not true. He is a liar and deceiver. He will assault me and hammer me with my failures, hoping I will become discouraged and give up the fight. He is a slanderer and accuser. He will seek to breed misunderstanding and conflict and thus undermine my relationships, both in my family and in the church. He is the destroyer. And then here's an example of how this would work. For example, the belt of truth. By faith, I now put on the belt of truth. I desire to wrap my life with the word of truth and to live a life of integrity before you. I embrace him who is the truth, the Lord Jesus, as my strength and protection from all of Satan's deceptions. I want the truth of your word to gain a deeper place in my life. I pray that it will be my heart's delight to read, study, and live it. I ask you through the Holy Spirit to protect me from embracing the enemy's lies. Show me, Lord, any way in which I'm being deceived. Show me where I'm not being open and honest before you. Guard me from rationalizing or justifying my attitudes and actions. Give me the courage to call sin, sin. Protect me from being double-minded and content with a credibility gap between what I know and how I live. Thank you for providing this part of armor. I truly want to live a life of integrity before you and before men. I desire to believe only the truth, to speak the truth, and to live the truth. It's a very, very valuable, braced for battle prayer. I encourage you to get your hands on it, utilize it. It's one way to be practicing prayer in our battle. Let's just pray together real quickly. Father, we thank you for all of this. We thank you for the truth of your word. And we would pray, Father, that we would have confidence because of what your word says, that when we are attacked, that we know our source of victory, that when we are attempted, that we know our source of resistance, that when we are discouraged, we know our source of hope. And ultimately, our faith is not in our ability to overcome, but our faith 
is in the overcomer. Amen.